trigger warning from the podcast host of Medal of Honor, Tiffany Marching. In this episode, you will hear stories from a veteran that have the potential of being a trigger. It's a real story from a real veteran. The topics that could provide a trigger include suicide, sexual assault, and rape. If you think these topics are too disturbing to listen to, you may not want to listen to this episode at this time. If you do listen to it and think that those may be a trigger for you, proceed with caution, please. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode, as it is a great story. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide, I ask that you contact an emergency service, 911, your local police and hospital. If you're a veteran, do not hesitate to contact the Veteran Crisis Line. If you have experienced any type of sexual assault, rape, domestic violence, please contact the appropriate authorities in your area. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Is that something that you found that you overcame uh, that uh, uh, fear of guns? Because I mean, in the military, that is like every branch, that's something that you learn to do in basic training. Mm -hmm. Is that so how did you overcome that obstacle? Um, I start thinking of the bigger picture, like, okay, the reason why I'm holding this gun is to, is to defend my country. So when I took that oath of enlistment and I read and I listened to him, I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm defending my country so my family can have a better life. And so we can fight for the rights over here. So that changed my whole mindset when it came to guns, because I understood the big picture. So- Welcome. Hey, I'm your country girl who likes to uh, line dance and... <laughs> So I'm from Garland, Texas, which is the little countryside outside of Dallas. That's where you grew up. Why did you join the military? Is that something that you've known that you're all, you were always going to do? So I had dealt with some issues in the military, I mean, uh, at home, and I was like, I need to get away. So um, I had dealt with, uh... boom, okay, I got it. I'm Lakeidra Houston. I am from Garland, Texas. I have uh, been in the military for 19 years. I started out as a security forces, which is basically MP, a cop. And then in 2012, I transitioned over to a recruiter. So now I am a recruiter supervisor uh, of Central Texas. um, And I go out and I, you know, speak to kids and things like that. The reason why I wanted to join the military was because I was running from a lot of issues um, at home, to be honest. Um, And I was always told, you know, I got bullied in school. Um, I was told that I was going to be a teen mom like my mother. I was, you know, I was drinking. I was partying because I was bullied and didn't know how to get out of that situation. Um, So I was like, oh, let me look into the military. Um, And initially I didn't want to go because I was like, I'm going to die. That's the first thing I thought in my head. And I signed up right after nine or right before 9-11, like a few days before 9-11. So I flipped out when I saw that on the screen. Um, But. I wanted to do something better with myself. Um, and the I was always told the Air Force is so uh, female friendly and, you know, you get treated better. So that's why I wanted, wanted to go in. Plus, you know, the planes I thought was pretty cool. 
Um, so that was kind of like the reason I wanted to go in um, just to make a difference in my life. But let um, me ask you, let me ask you this with that. When, so, I mean, you're, you're, you're wanting to join the air force to get away from just from what people have said you were going to turn into mm-hmm. when nine 11 happened, did you find yourself kind of contemplating and saying, let me rethink this. So is this really the route that I want to go? I did. Um, because I didn't, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, just the military is a scapegoat. I didn't think of it as like, oh man, it's really, we're going to go to war because my recruiter, unfortunately told me women don't go to war we don't have you don't go down range which is a bunch of crock because I end up going down range two times so um yeah and so I was like okay well I'm he told me I wasn't gonna go so I'm gonna continue going and what's so weird I was on a buddy program with a friend of mine and she backed out and uh we were both under a medical contract so we both had medical jobs and when she backed out that transitioned to my job to just an open so they can just put me with any job they wanted to and that's what they did and I ended up being a cop. <laughs> and I had a fear of guns. That was a crazy thing. I didn't tell them initially, but I kind of had a fear of guns because my father was killed, was shot, you know? So in my head, I'm thinking, oh man, in this gun, you know, you have the power to kill somebody. So I was like, ah, but I'm thinking, okay, I'm defending my country. So yeah. So, so inter- how, yeah. So is that something that you found that you overcame? Uh, that of uh, uh, fear of guns because I mean in the military that is like every branch that's something that you learn to do in basic training mm-hmm. is, is that so how did you overcome that obstacle um I start thinking of the bigger picture like okay the reason why I'm holding this gun is to, is to defend my country so when I took that oath of enlistment and I read and I listened to him I was like okay this is what I'm doing I'm defending my country so my family can have a better life and so we can fight for the rights over here. So that changed my whole mindset when it came to guns, um, because I understood the big picture. So that's what changed it up for me. But I, was uh, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, it's crazy because you know, we, uh, you know, we uh, mo- most of us took baggage with us into the military. Mm-hmm. And yep. just because now I can shoot and qualify on a weapon doesn't mean that I don't still have this thing lingering on about, okay, well, my, this was used to kill my father. Yep. So it's still there. It's still real. So Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, I I just wonder how you had processed that. Yeah. It was just the more of understanding the big picture of why I joined and um, understanding, you know, the rights that we have. And then also think about 9-11, like, what if that happens again? You know, what if I'm that person that can prevent that from happening? You know, so it was more, I started looking at things differently instead of what I saw, you know, looking at the, having the fear of things, but start looking at things a little bit different. Yeah. Changed. So, so you come in to the military, you do your basic training, you do your job training, your tech school. See, I can speak a little bit of Air Force lingo. There you go. <laughs> And you got, you did not get an MOS. You got an AFSC because that's yes. what we all do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm done with my, with my Air Force lingo. Um, <laughs> but so, so you go, you go to basic training, you go to your tech school and then you go to your first duty station. Like, so what's, what, what, what all? Whoa. So I get to my first duty station. Um, while I was there, I met a awesome, awesome guy, um, who was welcomed me with open arms and was like, Hey, you know, welcome to the base. And 
we had talked a lot and we both had Ford F-150s and we used to uh, try to um, race each other. But um, what shook me was I went and released him to go eat for lunch and I'm a cop. And so I'm watching the F-16s and I'm on the flight line. And after I released him to go to lunch, he was telling me some things that were going on in his life. And next thing you know, I hear screaming on the phone call saying, there's blood coming out the tower. And this is out of the tower that he was at. And so this is, I haven't even been in the Air Force six months when this happened. So um, probably 60 days. Uh, so I get there and I'm looking, I see blood pouring out and I see his head back. And one of my close, the closest guy friend I had there, the person I thought I could trust committed suicide. Um, so that was within that first time. Um, also previous to that, I was sexually assaulted. And at that moment, I didn't really understand um, the effects of it because when it happened, I went outside the, um, his office, the male's office, and he was a leader of mine, went outside his office and I, there was a girl that came that was walking by and she was taking out trash. And she basically told me, he touched you, didn't you? Didn't he? And I'm like, what? She was like, he touched you. And I didn't say anything. And she said, if you say something, you're going to do what I do. You're going to be out here picking up rocks. You're going to be out here mowing the lawn. And you're going to be out here. You're going to get kicked out and go straight home. So she was like, I advise you not to say anything. So I carried that sexual assault with me for a long time. The, the bad part about it is that as a cop, everybody knew this guy had a reputation of being a half touching women in the past. So that bothered me even more because it was like a joke, like, oh, he's nasty. He's nasty. And I'm like, is that the norm? Like this guy's nasty. Y'all are, y'all are okay with the sexual assault. Um, but yeah, I just kind of like took it out, like whatever, I guess it happens to it. The best of us, let's go shake it off. Um, and then later it affected me, um, by me drinking, partying, and then, um, later on try to commit suicide, um, probably almost 10, 11 years after that when it really got to me. Okay, so that's just too much of a cliffhanger right there. And that's like, wait, <sighs> hold on. I mean, you, you breeze over that like it was just nothing. Um, so everybody's telling you, you know what? Don't say anything. Just let it go. Because, you know, it, it's going to do you more harm than good if you say anything. Um, what, what got you... I mean, because I just know the the emotional roller coaster it is after experiencing something like that. Yeah. Um, how like how did you how did you cope for that such a long time? Um, and then what was the like icing on the cake that made you say, you know what, I'm saying something. I can't bury this anymore. So how I cope was through alcohol. Um, I was drinking, I was partying because I had got orders to go overseas. They knew something was wrong with me mentally. Like they knew I was off. Um, I commanded. Um, so I went overseas and, you know, there you have liquor and you can drink. So I just partied my life away. Um, and during that time, I ended up getting married, which was, which was an, another issue. Um, and that was the domestic abuse, you know, relationship. I almost got killed. He almost killed me. Um, and then I'm giving birth to my son and I didn't care at that moment that I was a mother. Like I sent him to my parents' house and let them watch him. And I just started drinking and partying, didn't care because I didn't care for 
I didn't care how, how I was affecting anybody else. All I care was is I need to drink just not to think about it. Um, I need a party just to get my head away from it or whatever. So my coping was drinking. Um, I think finally, when I realized that something was wrong and that I need to get help was um, right after my sister had died in 2009, she was murdered. Um, I think that's when it hit me because when she died, everything came out. The sexual assault came out, um, the depression, the bullying, everything came out at once. And when it hits you all at once, it's a different feeling to the point where you're just like, I don't care. I don't care if I live or die. I don't care if my son has a mother, he'll be better off without me. Like I didn't care. Um, and the only way I dealt with that was when somebody pulled me aside who was in my leadership and he was a male, uh, which scared me because I had trauma because of dealing with men. Um, but he pulled me aside and talked to me. And I think that right there was the change for me because he understood and he actually tried to understand what was going on. He actually told me, hey, you need help without threatening my career. So when somebody says, hey, I can get you help um, without you losing, you know, yourself or losing your career, then that was what changed me. Um, and somebody just caring, you know, so that's what really that's what really changed me. And you're still here to talk about it. That's what's that's that's what's getting me right now is that mm -hmm. you know you lose the father, um, you join the military, um, somebody that you had connected with uh, uh, committed suicide. You get sexually assaulted. You lose a sister. Um, and you coped with it the way many of us cope with it, alcohol. Okay. And, mm -hmm. and I, I remember, I, I keep a picture that I share, I share with people um, of the kitchen cabinet above my, um, above my stove um, was a, like a liquor closet. Mm. And, and I would look up different drinks to make and I would just um, say, okay, come home from work when I was recruiting, cause I did that job too. Um, <laughs> and that didn't help, but I, I would, I would come home and I would say, okay, what am I going to drink today? Mm -hmm. I, think yeah. a, I think a hurricane would sounds good. It mm -hmm. got, I'll tell you, I should have been kicked out of the military. Um, because yep. it, I mean, it got to the point to where I, uh, I would have a 20 ounce bottle of Coke I would drink some of it in the morning while I'm getting ready to go to work. I put alcohol in that Coke and then took it to work with me mm. because I did not know how to manage my emotions. And I knew that I was going to explode if I didn't do something to numb myself. So mm -hmm. that's what I did. Yeah. But we end up, when we do stuff like that, we end up getting ourselves in more trouble than we do good. Yeah, we do. And, so, and that's the, that's, and that's a scary part because you don't, you're not, you're, I mean, I had a friend that, that lost his life recently and, and was young thirties and stuff. And he, his way of coping was drinking and he ended up over in like, you know, alcohol poisoning, whatever that happens. And I mean, we were drinking, like I would drink and then carry a weapon. So that's how bad it was too. So I understand where you are, where you just, 
drink and you go to duty, I should be kicked out too. But that's, that was what we dealt with. We had no other way. And you didn't want, you didn't want to talk about it. Nobody wants to, you didn't want to say anything because you still had in the back of your head that you're going to get kicked out. Um, and even to this day, when you talk about mental health issues, guess what the stigma is? You're going to kick, get kicked out or your career is going to end. It's a career ender. So you just bottle it in and deal with it the best way you can. And some of us make it, some of us don't. And that's unfortunate that we feel like the very thing that we should be doing is the very thing that we don't do. And the very mm-hmm. thing that's going to get us into a deeper hole is what we do. We drink, mm-hmm. we drink and drive, we drink and then we do drugs and we do this and that and we get promiscuous or whatever, whatever it is that we do. Um, mm-hmm. we, we damage ourselves even more because we don't know how to get the help that we, we want, we need, or we know about it, but we just kind of push it aside for whatever reason. Um, and that's, that's what we, we just screw ourselves over doing stuff like that. That's um, so true. So my question for you is when you, when you finally said, okay, enough is enough. I can't drink anymore. I need some help. What, what did that process look like for you? Man, that process, I'm going to be honest with you. Active duty psychologists and therapists suck. I'm going to be hundred percent blunt. I had to go out of my way to get the therapy I needed, whether I reached for a, maybe a minister, maybe I reached for a, um, somebody off military one source, which that was horrible too. Um, it was a lot of, because I wanted to live, it was a lot of work on my part. So even though I couldn't get people um, to help me, I found ways to help myself. And that was talking to other women who had um, MST or suicidal uh, ideations or anything. Like I talked to a variety of people. And I think the people who went through the same struggle as me were the ones that helped me most more than anything. So that was how it was. It was me writing journals. Um, reading how to how to help my mind my change my mindset and just having that power and hope um that I can get through this and that I just want to live and I think that's what um helped me and pushed me but not I cannot sit up here and say that um and that male who helped me but I cannot sit up here and say that there's a therapist that helped me because they really have it. and still to this day I still have to I have to call and find a therapist because TRICARE won't take them or the therapist doesn't answer her phone when I need her. So I'm just like, what, what do I do? What do I have left? So I just sit here and I keep on thinking in the back of my head, Hey, I got to do this. I either do sound therapy, meditate. Those are things I do for myself, but still find a therapist. is still hard work just to find one. It is. And I wish I could tell you it's so much better when you get out that the VA is so much better, but it's the same. Um, mm. It really is. Uh, you know, I, I got lucky when I was in Kentucky. I, I say I got lucky. I was doing cognitive behavioral therapy and I am all about giving a person a fair shake and saying, okay, maybe it just is going to take a minute for us to mesh. But eight months later, I felt no better than I did eight months previous to starting with this person. So I said, Hey, look, this isn't working. Um, I, you know, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm going to appointments to help me not employ you. 
Um, mm-hmm. And this is just not cutting it. Now, I and I was willing to tell her, if I'm the problem, if I'm the reason why it's not working, then let me know what I need to do differently. But this is just, it's this just is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, because every time I would walk in, she would say to me, so what are we going to talk about t- um, today? And I yeah. would say to her, I don't know. You tell me. I don't <laughs> like that question. Yes. You know, that's so, so true. I hear that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, and I finally said to her one time, I said, I don't know. You went to college, you went to grad school, you got into a PhD program to be a psychologist. And as you label yourself, a clinical psychologist, and you have either already paid off your debt or you're still paying it off. So that should be a reminder that you are the mental health professional, not me. I'm the one that needs the help. So you need to tell me what we're going to talk about today. Yes. And, and she's like, well, that's not how it works. I'm like, well, then this is not working and I need to find something that does work. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing you have to say that that's something yeah. you, you have to say because a lot of people give up and a lot of people that I've known that committed suicide because they gave up and they don't but it's okay to say no and it's okay to keep on looking because that's that person doesn't work for you so I'm happy you said that because a lot of people need to understand that every therapist is not going to be for you but you have to continue finding that person who can connect with you and help you understand but the same questions I hate oh my gosh I hate those questions with a passion um I was even told when I, and I shared this on a different one, I, I was told by Military One Source in Houston, hey, you know, thank you for coming in. Um, I got a rush. I'm sorry. I got to feed my kids. But are you, do you want to commit suicide today? And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm suicidal, but I don't want to do it right now. Like, I'm okay. Like, but she was basically told me, well, okay, well, since you're fine, then we'll just go ahead and come back another day. Her focus was on her kids and left me, left me sitting there. So I was in the car freaking out. Like, what if I wanted to kill myself? Well, who do I talk to? Cause she just basically was done with me. Called her back to reschedule. Didn't hear from her for about a week and found out she had gone on a trip with her family. You could at least call me and said, Hey, I'm not going to be there for you. Or let's reschedule two weeks out or something like that. Or just call me and make me feel like I was somebody, but didn't call me, didn't care. So that's what we're faced with. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and so I'll tell you, I'm right now, um, I'm going to school for um, a degree in human services. And right now I'm taking, um, I'm taking a class called multiculturalism in the human services arena. And that is something, what the whole purpose of this course is to look at different cultures, ethnicities, uh, religious beliefs, same-sex relationships, all these different things that are hot spots for many people. And we are learning about uh, things and people and issues that are different than us. And the professor is great because he, it's like he sees a small little window of opportunity when you, when you write your discussion board post and he walks right through it and says, okay, Mm -hmm. so if that's true, then what about this? And he doesn't ever tell anybody you're wrong for that. He says, you believe what you believe but do you know why you believe it or Mm -hmm. you do what you do? Do you know why you do it? Do you just do it because mom and dad did it? Um, Do you just, do you do it because, you know, your spouse does it? He he makes you question everything that you do and why you do it. And I think that's great. That is 
Yeah, because many times we just we don't pay attention to that. But one of the things that you know, in re, you know, in response to what you were saying is that we look, we don't always look <clears throat> at things from a different person's perspective. And so I remember even posing a question, kind of as you relate, to, as it relates to what you said, where do you, how do you, how do you draw that line or that balance of being uh, in the human services realm and being some sort of provider? You've got to take care of yourself, your family, and your own stuff. It's that whole, you know, just like in a, in a plane, you have to put on your own mask first before you can mm-hmm. adequately take care of somebody else. So how do you, how do you grapple with that of being that healthcare provider or that mental health provider and being all in for your clients, yet also not neglecting yourself? And sometimes yeah. that can be a thin line, but to me, hearing, hearing somebody say, are you suicidal? Do you want to kill yourself now? Do you want to kill yourself today? Oh, really? So you're suicidal, but you're not going to do it today. All right. Peace out. I'll catch you next week, even though I'm going to mm-hmm. be on vacation next week. Like yep. that's, that's not a healthy balance right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you could still say, Hey, I've got to go get my kids because of whatever reason. And that's fine. But when you leave somebody just hanging who says that they're thinking about suicide, no, that's that's not okay. Yeah, and this is like I've heard it from a lot of different people. Like I do not like military one source. I will be honest. I've tried to work with them. Um, I don't like, you know, some of the things they do, the sessions they do is because they don't understand how it is to be a veteran or in the military. A lot of them are just, you know, on the outside. Um, so I don't like the program, but it's something that you said that stuck out to me when you talk about multicultural and things like that. So me, I have, I mean, I'm a pastor's kid. And when I say my parents, these are my grandparents um, that raised me. So I call them my parents. Um, but it, I was always raised that or told that we weren't black people. We're not supposed to go to therapy, therapy. Um, I was also told as a Christian, I wasn't supposed to go to therapy. Um, so those are things I dealt with for years. And I think that's why it took me so long to seek help or seek therapy, because it was something frowned upon, not just in the military, but also in your culture where you're raised, where if you have an issue, you just pray and that's it. Um, I didn't have an open dialogue with my family to tell them what was going on. I didn't even tell my family that I was sexually assaulted till last year, 2020. That's how long, because it was more of a Oh, you sure that happened? Like Kedra, you know, y'all military, you know, things like little things like that. It was just like, everybody was blind to it. Um, and it was more of like, you know, the military, they don't do that type of deal. And I'm like, what you have, let's look at stats. Like, let's look at statistics. It happened. So it was, it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. So trying to, trying to let them know like, Hey, it's okay. If I go to therapy, that helped even tell them I was suicidal. Like that, there's no, black people don't commit suicide. Like that is how ignorant it was in my home. Um, so that lets you know, it's a lot of stigmas we have to change when it comes to different, uh, when it comes to mental health in different races, religion, like that's something that needs to be um, talked about. And that's something I've been trying to talk about as well. So I'm happy you brought that up. So mm-hmm. even though I don't get that, I do get this. Right. So it's a big deal to them. 
Yeah, and I think we lack empathy. That's the one thing we lack. We lack empathy. Um, and they and some people relate that sympathy. It's not the same thing. So I think all, a lot of leaders and a lot of that's something that should be kind of taught to us. You know, look at the, look at look at other people's lenses. Like we talk about that in leadership courses that I've been through and everything. But I honestly think that needs to be taught um, as people are entering the military. Like, hey, th- you're going to meet people of different backgrounds you're going to meet these type of people so even though they may not agree with you just learn and try to understand where they're coming from so that's something real big we need to learn empathy um, as people in general and we lack that a lot what what are you talking about i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) hey i didn't have it i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie to you i didn't have it because when before my friend committed suicide and i had another friend committed suicide in middle school in my head i was like oh they're weak Oh, there are people who commit suicide, people who are depressed or weak, um, not understanding I was depressed and not understanding that years later that I would be that suicidal person with a gun in my head. You know what I mean? So that's when I, after that happened, that's when I started gaining empathy. Like, wow, now I understand, like you said, that person's situation may be different from how I look at things, but still it's important to them. So let me be that there for them. Let me be that shoulder for them. You just, you just said that for you with suicide, you found yourself in a place where you had a gun to your head, mm-hmm. not by somebody else, but you're, you buy it in your own hand. Correct. Um, talk about that a little bit. What, you know, how you got to that point of, yep, this is it. I'm done to not following through with it. Yeah. So um, this was a time where, you know, this is after my sister had passed and this is when I was going through that depression state. And I was dating a guy who ended up being my husband, my (laughs) ex-husband, but I was dating him at the time. And so I used to see him with a gun, like he had a gun in his place. And then I used to, it was bad. I used to vision myself with a bullet to my, like with a bullet hole in my head. Like, man, it would be so good just to get that gun and just release some of this that's going on. So I used to actually visualize myself killing myself at that moment. And what I did was one day he was in the restroom and I said, I'm going to do this quick and he's not going to notice. And so I went and grabbed his gun. I went and hid. Um, I kind of hid off to the corner of the kitchen or whatever. And I had the gun to my head and I took a deep breath and I pulled, I was pulled, my finger was in the, um, was in there where I was about to pull the trigger. It was right there at the host in the, in the uh, trigger guard, whatever. So my hand was right there. And as soon as I was squeezing it, he jumped me. Don't even know. I didn't even think he was out the shower. I didn't even know. I didn't even hear him. But he pushed me. And I didn't, it didn't happen. And I was like, why, why did you do that? Like, I wanted this to end. Um, but I knew, I knew at that moment that it wasn't meant for me to do it. I knew there was more to it because the way he got out of there and not even hearing him, it just happened so fast. I knew I wasn't meant to go, um, even though I still thought about it um, and wanted to do it again. A day later, I tried to commit suicide again, um, but I couldn't find the gun. So um, I think it was just at that point where it just everything came down again. My sister's murder, the MST, everything had just like got just was all in, just there was just coming down to me at once. Um and then once I did that, that's when the, the leader sat down and talked to me. He was like, you know, I'm more the perky person. I like to run around and be goofy. And for about a couple of weeks, I wasn't that anymore. I was 
you know, people would speak to me and I would just wave. I would put my head down, um, just didn't care. And that's when I knew um, after talking to him, I was like, okay, there's something more for me. And he just, he hit, it was something inside me that he, that he spoke to. Um, and then I just, I, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I got to live. So. Is that when you started to go get counseling and therapy? Yes. Yeah, so when I went, so after talking to him, um, I sought out a counselor in the end, more like a Christian counselor. Um, it went well. Um, and I also found things within myself that I could do. So it was working out because at that time I was, uh, wasn't working out. I was again, drinking again. Um, so I started figuring out like, when you have that hope, this is what everybody needs to remember. When you have that hope that you want to live, you're going to fight for it. You're going to fight for your life. So I started researching and reading books on how to, how can I affect my, you know, how can, what affects my mental health? What can I do to be stronger? Um, and, you know, my ex-husband, he was, a, he helped me out a lot in some of those areas as well to make me feel like, you know, it's not worth it. Um, and then I ended up getting pregnant. <laughs> and then that right there really changed my mindset because even though my oldest son wasn't there, my youngest one, he came at the moment that I needed him to come. And it was like, wow, um, I have another boy that looks up to me and it just made me enjoy motherhood. It made me enjoy life. It made me enjoy everything. So I think that right there on top of me seeking help just made me, made me better. That's awesome. So I get it. So now, um, I would say, uh, kind of now looking at the present time, you said something uh, earlier about going, you know, traveling around and doing these workouts uh, and sharing your MST story um, and how they're kind of related to each other. Can you mm -hmm. talk about what that is that you're doing nowadays and what what physical health or physical workouts have to do with your mental health? So... What I noticed is, um, so I started this uh, thing called the Fit Tour. And the Fit Tour is basically where I go around to different gyms and we work out and we talk about how do we, how do, can I, how can we aspire each other or people that we work with um, to be fit, mind, body, and spirit. That's, that's how I think. I don't think fitness just goes off of your body, but it always does something to your brain. So when we work out, it it gives you like these endorphins, like you're just excited, you're ha like it puts you in a better mood. And I know a lot of people uh, can see that when they work out, it, it helps with your mood and you're not thinking about the issue going on right now. And I think if I didn't get into health and working out more and meditation and stuff like that, I would probably be dead because, you know, contemplating suicide, it keeps on, you know, it, it reoccurs. Um, but when I, as soon as I start working out and putting more work into my spirituality and into getting fit, that changed everything. Um, and it made me feel better. So, um, I really think there are a lot of studies out there that says if you work out what 30 minutes a day, um, maybe a brisk walk for five times, five days a week, um, that will help your mental health. Um, and it's a mood stabilizing those things. So I think that's what it was. So this get fit tour is just not only it's all, it's to help those veterans, it's help those who are suicidal, um, who's, uh, who don't understand, you know, trying to break the stigma, who don't understand what, what suicide is or suicide awareness, but it's a way to get fit and, and also talk about suicide awareness and, and 
the stigma of hey being mentally um there's nothing wrong to have with having you know there's nothing wrong with having mental health issues there's nothing wrong with that but if you don't fix your mental health it's going to end up turning to a mental illness so that's something that that people have to understand um you know you have to mentally work out so and I know I kind of ramble with that one but (laughs) yeah you're fine I got excited no I'm kidding (laughs) I was gonna say you're fired no, um, it's good because it's true. I, 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 I injured my back when I was on active duty. So when it came to t- taking the physical fitness test, I ended up doing the swim instead of the run because it was my lower back. So I couldn't do the walk or the bike. So um, I, I didn't realize how much I missed running mm-hmm. for that very reason. I really did. I just didn't realize how powerful it was. Um, I would do the workout that we would do Monday through Friday in the mornings, whether it included running or not, I would three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I would go on a run after work. And then mm-hmm. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would go do a step class. And then Saturdays, there's a, there were about three of us that would just go on a walk uh, in one of their neighborhoods and you know, walk. I think it, there was a there was a, a park that had like a kids playground and we could walk around that park and we would walk around it 13 times and that would end up being like eight and a half miles. Mm. So that physical activity really kept me going, not just physically, but mentally that that adrenaline you were talking about, it mm-hmm. really got kept me going. And I think that's when also when I noticed when I stopped running, I noticed um, a decline mentally. I, I noticed depression seemed to be a little bit more prevalent for me because that those endorphins weren't going like they were before. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so now, uh, I just, so one of the things that I just started is, is yoga. Now Mm. yoga, um, I wish I, so I have an app on my phone. This, This is kind of funny, but it's very true. I told my mom, Oh, I'm doing yoga. You should, you should do it. We should do it together. And she said, I can't do that. And I said, why not? She said, cause I have back problems. And I looked at her and I'm like, you, you realize who you're talking to, right? Cause <laughs> remember I've got back problems too. And so she was she's like, well, but I had back surgery. You didn't I'm like still have back issues. What's your mm-hmm. next thing? She's like, I got problems with my hips and my knees. I'm like, well, you know what? Those knees are not yours. They're there yet because she had a total knee replacement on both of her knees I said those knees are not your own anyway um <laughs> I said so quit you know just quit quit using these excuses and she's like well I'm just not in shape I said what look at again mom look at me uh, I mean I'm in a shape all right but it's not the ideal shape that I'm supposed to be in and so um <laughs> just being real um and so I one of the things I told her <coughs> is I'm not in shape, but I still do it because when I finished that either eight minute, um, eight minute, 10 minute or 20 minute, you know, however long it is of a set, a yoga session. When I, when I finish it, I've noticed three things. One, my balance is awful. And I realize my ability to stretch um, and my flexibility is awful. Yeah. So those, I learned those two things. 
but they're not going to get any better if I stop doing yoga. Correct. And the third thing that I realized is while I'm not any better at my flexibility or my balance, I feel better after doing it. Even mm-hmm. after just eight minutes of doing yoga, I can't do all the exercises fully. You know, I can't lean all the way over and touch my toes, but I can lean over and um, extend my arms as close to the ground as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and I do feel better after doing it. Yeah. And that's, and that's what it's about is the mindset we got to stop using can't because that's where we, we end up being limitless or limited. Um, we always use, you know, I can't do this. I can't because of this and this and make excuses. But if you actually try it and stick with it and be consistent, it, it will, it will, it will help you so much. And I tell my grandma the same thing. I'm like, you need to go, even though you feel like you're older, there's a lady her Ernestine, I forgot her last name, but she's 80 years old and this lady runs and can run. And she's, a, you know, one of the oldest female bodybuilders. Like we have a lot of ladies in their seventies, eighties that are out there running and stuff because they believe that they, you know, are limitless. Um, Wait, and that's that what lady, we have to do. Just that. Is that lady? She's, she's in her seventies, right? Yeah. There's one 70 and there's one 80. There's two of them. There's a, uh, Caucasian lady and the black lady. There's two of them. It's the black lady, man. I'm gonna tell yeah. you what. She's in I her saw... 80s now. Oh, see, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what. That for the first time I saw that woman, I was like, dang, she mm-hmm. has more muscle on her, and it's like she doesn't have any fat on her. Correct. And she's going to the gym and she's working out harder than like some of these big muscle, you know, big yeah. built muscle guys. I'm like, man. Yeah. And it was funny because you know, when they were doing a story on her, they had some uh, they had some some of those big guys that are bodybuilders just looking at her going, oh, I might need to go help granny out. And then she just pumps out, pumps up the iron mm-hmm. like it's nothing. Yeah. So, and some of, some of these ladies who are older, they're, they're starting in their 40s and 50s because they're like, you know what? If I sit here, <laughs> I'm not going to I'm going to make myself worse. So yeah, you have to go out there and try something new. It's, it's no age limit um, on getting healthy, getting fit. Except for um, the 45-year-old, about to be 46-year-old that retired like a year and a half ago. She has an excuse. That's me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I was about to say, no, you don't have an excuse. <laughs> I, Nobody yeah, see, has excuse. <laughs> yeah, I knew I couldn't say that and get away with it around you. Mm-mm, I'm gonna <laughs> tell you, go out there and do it. Just take your time, but just as long as you start, doesn't matter um, what you can and can't do. But when you start, things will open up. You'll be fine. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I I really do need to get back into is that the where I live, I can walk a loop. Um, this yeah, you know, the of where I live, and it's you know, just over a half mile. So all I need to do is walk it twice mm-hmm. and I've walked a mile. I don't have to walk it fast. I just have to go around it twice. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, you know, it, there's that constant battle when you have those mental health issues and especially with depression, you know, and that's something that I've noticed in my transition out of the military is that the, you know, in the military, you have somebody above you telling you what to do and how to do it Mm -hmm. to include workouts. And so there's that part of me that 
you know, now that now that I'm out of the military, I don't have anybody telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't have anybody telling me that I need to go work out and exercise. So I have to make a choice to do it on my own. And many times that's a very difficult choice. It is. Um, but I, you know, I, I really have to find that piece of motivation to do it and say, hey, if for, if for no other reason, especially in light of depression, if for no other reason today I need to go and walk, even if I just walk one lap around the neighborhood, I need yeah. to walk one lap, come home, take a shower, get dressed, and I've accomplished something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, too many, too many times I have found myself saying, but why? What's the point? And, you know, many times I allowed depression to get the best of me, but then there's times where I say, no, I'll tell you what the point is because I don't want to die at 46 or 47. I I want to live as long as possible. And that requires me to take care of this body that I was given. Right. And that's what we have to remember So here, here, this would be my last. Yeah, absolutely. We do. Um, but we don't always look at stuff like that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be my last question for you. So you can go eat and I can go start another podcast recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so we've talked. Yeah, I have another one in about 30 minutes. Um, and see, that's why I separate them for so, so far apart from each other, because I know I can run my mouth. I'm guilty of that for sure. <laughs> Um, so my, my last question would be uh, this. So we've talked about, we've talked about suicide. We've talked about mental health. We have talked about MST and all the things that, you know, surround those, those type of issues. Um, if, if, if there was anything else that you feel like you could share with uh, anybody listening to this episode of the podcast, what would that be? What would you tell the people who are uh, tapped in listening to your story and how you've overcome all these you know, crazy, crazy things in your life? What would you tell them? So what I would honestly tell people is that don't always look at the negative parts of your life. Don't look at those things. Um, Yes, things happen to us, but don't let your pain and your hurt ruin the person that you can become. Um, So that's one thing I want a lot of people to understand. We, We sit in our pain, we sit in our trauma, but you're a survivor. You have overcame so much. So don't give up, don't quit, um, and just keep on going. So that's one thing I definitely want everybody to understand. It will get better, believe me. We've all been there, but it will get better as long as we put in the work. Oh, I need to find that song. Keep on moving, don't stop. Yep. Keep on moving. Don't stop. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, it is. It's, it's, and, and I know for the, if there's a person listening right now to this episode saying, but you don't understand. Yeah, you're right. I don't. Um, I, neither one of us said at any point in time that it's an easy road. Uh, recovery is not easy. Um, recovering from things that you, uh, from decisions that you have made and recovering from things that just happened because it's just the way the ball bounces. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, things happen to us that we have no control over. 
no matter what it is that we're having to get over or overcome, um, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. I know that's cliche-ish, but it's true. If it was easy to um, overcome stuff, then everybody would be overcomers and nobody would have issues and we'd all get along and, but that's just not where we are. So um, the thing that I would tell people who are listening and I'm sure you'd agree is that, you know, if you, you know, if you, we, so we both have had, ex, you know, experiences with medical providers that have just been uh, a lot less than desirable, but there are people out there who care. So the mm-hmm. biggest thing that I would tell people is find somebody to talk to, uh, no matter how embarrassing it may feel or seem, no matter how simplistic your issue might might feel um talk to somebody ask for help and if you have to if you're in the service and 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 you want to use military one source or you know just somebody i mean yeah yeah there just know the person on the other other end of the phone call there are those that are great people that are very helpful and then there are those not so much um Mm -hmm. for veterans who are connected to the VA, there's the crisis line. Um, Talk to a neighbor, talk to a friend, talk to a family member, whoever, find somebody that you can talk to. Because sometimes that's all we need is just somebody that we can vent to and get it out to. Mm -hmm. Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. Yeah. I, I, I know for me, that's, that was a big thing too, especially with my MST is having, having that shame and that guilt because, you know, in the military, you know, as an enlisted person, as an NCO, it's always that I make stuff happen because that's what NCOs do. And nothing happens to me because as an NCO, I don't let anything happen to me. But guess what? It did happen. I yeah. experienced an MST um, and I'm not the only one. So things happen that are out of our control and it's okay to ask for help. There's nothing wrong with asking for help or seeking out help because your life, you know, your life is worth living. It's just a matter of finding, you know, what that thing is that you can hold on to and say, this is my purpose. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Have a nice day.